it's a pleasure to have you here, folks. I, I mean it, and uh, thank you for, for your time. Come in, brother. I want to do this uh, very informal this, this morning, so feel free to charm in. Um, help me out. If something is not clear, a point that I'm trying to make. Please, come in. Feel free to, to help me. Most of you are pastors with a lot of experience or church leaders and, and so forth. So originally I had the hope that we can do something interactive, maybe subdivide the, the groups into a smaller units, but I don't think that's going to happen. We have a full house and praise the Lord for that. I was born and raised in the Dominican Republic. It's a small island in the Caribbean, probably a third of the size of North Carolina. And I was called into the ministry very early. Uh, called into ministry, I will, I will say, but when I was 14 years old, mostly in, into a Catholic family, and uh, grew up a, basically as the only believer in my family. So by age 16, very, very young, I realized now, now that I have teenagers at home, I don't know how I was doing that, I was a lay preacher at my church, small local church in the Dominican Republic. And uh, once, uh, I, can, I don't have the time to give you my whole biography this morning, but... <laughs> Uh, but, but the Lord allowed me to, to grow spiritually quickly. I had to because I was taking on responsibilities that way. I, I was way too young now looking back to have taken on. But, but I had this thirst and this desire to learn about the Word of God. And as a college student, uh, I, I, I was able to work for the, the bookstore and the seminary in Dominican Republic, a Baptist seminary uh, founded uh, uh, and supported thanks to you guys and the International Mission Board. And uh, so I, I remember this thirst for the Word of God, but, but the resources were limited. Uh, the books, we are talking about early 90s. Uh, I'm almost 50 now, time flies. <laughs> uh, the, the resources were very limited. Some, some books would take five, ten years to be translated into Spanish, and sometimes they wouldn't even be translated. So time went on, and I, I came to Florida. I, I met my, my beautiful uh, bride in Dominican Republic on a mission trip. I got married, and I came to, to live in, in Florida, South Florida, West Palm Beach. And then I have unlimited resources. And boy, uh, when I used to go to the Christian bookstore, you know, Lifeway having restructured back then, and they have these huge libraries and bookstores, uh, actually. And you would go there, and my <coughs> wife told me, I won't let you go in there by yourself, because <laughs> <laughs> like a kid in a candy store. You know, I, I want to grab every book about you know, church development, church growth, uh, and so forth. But after a few years of reading and reading and reading, uh, it was mind-boggling. And I realized, you know, uh, it was confusing at times because you have great authors with all the, you know, letters after their names that were telling me exactly contradictory things. <laughs> uh, contradict each other and they were convinced they were right. And then I started leaning toward those that I agreed more with. And then I realized they were almost all saying the same with different words. And I, I got into a days, uh, what in the world? What do I do now? How do I grow spiritually? How I don't understand the church? And at that point, my resource was, I'm going to go back to a scripture. What does the Bible say the church is and what it is about? And that was my detox. <laughs> uh, but I had to take a pause because uh, it was mind-boggling as a young man in my 20s. 
Well, that was in the 90s. Uh, now it's even worse. <laughs> that was before the internet came about. And, <laughs> and uh, maybe because the kind of work that I do at the convention is seldom a, a month go by that I don't receive wonderful invitations to great events, great books that are coming out, great methodology. Uh, at times I experience a little bit of disillusionment because this uh, evangelism strategy will come out and they will promise that that was it. And five years later, it was dated, uh, or nobody could use it anymore, and they would come out with a different approach and a different strategy. I said, goodness, <laughs> this is a never-ending work. Uh, and, and it was, it, again, drove me back to the Word of God and back to the basics. So today, my folks, I don't know if you're going to learn a lot of brand new things. I, I just hope to encourage you about what you already know, probably. Probably clarify some stuff, affirm you in, in some things. And at the same time, uh, I, I hope you will contribute as well to the conversation. Feel free to interrupt me. There is no train of thoughts to be interrupted here, so <laughs> don't be concerned about that. Uh, and we all learn from each other for our experience, our different backgrounds and contexts. I'm sure we all can charm in and help each other out here. Uh, understanding my, my hope for this morning in this amount of time that we're going to have is that we have a biblical understanding of what the church is and what is the church to be about and what the Great Commission or omission, depends on what you want to call it, is about really according to a scripture. I don't know it all. Uh, as I said, I'm almost 50 and the more I read and the more degrees I get, the more in aware of my limitations I become and I become way more aware of how little I really know. So it won't hurt my ego if we disagree about a few things here this morning. But uh, I wish I had the time for us to introduce ourselves, but uh, hopefully we'll get to know each other. I am in area three and four. Is there anybody that lives in that region, the Raleigh, uh, from the coast, uh, Raleigh, all the way to Virginia, uh, back there? Right? Oh, I have, yes. We, we have different catalysts in different regions, uh, and you will get to meet them as, as time goes on. But let, let's go back to the basics here. My pastor is preaching a series of sermons on Genesis, and he's, he's calling Origins, and it's wonderful. He's in chapter 2 of Genesis. Uh, it has been a reminder for me of, of when God created everything, and everything was perfect, everything was good, right? Created man, created woman, uh, and created a paradise in the Garden of Eden. And that was wonderful until chapter 2 or so. By the end of chapter 2, we begin in chapter 3, what happened? Men disobey. And by chapter 4, we had the first murderers in history. We have, right? We know this. We know this. Cain killed Abel. And uh, we have been going downhill <laughs> ever since. By chapter 6, what do we have? We have the heart of man was continuously wicked, right? And God had to send a flaw. And we have Noah and the destruction of, of, of the world. But God wasn't done. He, he wasn't over for us because of his mercy. And he, you know, saved Noah and his family. And by chapter 12, chapter 15, he called Abraham and make a covenant with them. And I said, okay, we're going to start over, basically. We are going to create a, a different breed, a different people, that will worship me, will be a nation of priests, that will be a light to the world, and you guys will carry the torch that originally was intended perhaps for all humanity. Ah, but Israel was a stiff-necked people, right? 
We are not like they are. We are not like them. <laughs> they not only rejected all the Old Testament prophets that we know and killed most of them, but uh, finally killed the son. So they saw, right? Uh, as I said, we were in a progressive uh, downfall. Uh, but, but nothing surprises God. So that was part of his plan. So we get to the Gospels now, and here comes John the Baptist, ushering a new age, a new era for all of us through Jesus Christ. And this, this, this wonderful period between the, the Jesus' first coming and his return of the age of the church begins. And here we are. We, we are part of those wonderful 2,000-something years now where we are carrying, carrying the torch. If, I, if someone can help me, 1 Peter 2.9, if you guys have it on your Bibles there. Someone can read it out loud for me. This won't be a sermon, so uh, let's do this very informally, guys, and, and, and I, I will repeat for those that got here now. Feel free to interrupt, to add, to ask me questions. Uh, we are a family here. 1 John 2.9. 1 uh, Peter, my bad, my bad. Yes, <laughs> I have John in front of me here. 1 <laughs> uh, Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen family, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Exactly. So, regardless of the plans that the Lord has for Israel, the church has come uh, to be a light into the world and, and to usher, establish his kingdom, right? Uh, and we can see that from, I guess we can read Luke and Acts, but uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, will be a good, a good start there. If someone can read it out loud for me, Acts 1a, you probably know the verse by memory, I'm sure. Someone has. <coughs> but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Exactly. Now Jesus has come, and he has established his church. That was part of the eternal plan of God. There is no institution like the church. Uh, we wish to think that they are. I work for a parachurch organization, I work for the convention. Uh, but I'm not fooled by that. And, and, and I tell the pastors this, the Lord has committed <coughs> with his church to preserve the church. And the church will be here until he returns. But a church organization, we serve a purpose. <coughs> In our case, we are fully aware that we, we serve the churches. But the Lord hasn't committed for the convention to be there until he returns. <laughs> Ultimately, the church takes priority. Everything we see, those, those three and a half years of ministry of Jesus was to establish the foundation of what we call today the church. And we see that expansion through all the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, right? Chapter 1, uh, we have the apostles receiving the Holy Spirit that Jesus has promised to them over and over in the, in the gospel. And we, have, we see now a bunch of what at that point was a bunch of coward men that, cowardly men that abandoned Jesus in a moment of distress, 
Now they are very different, right? What happened? The Holy Spirit have come and have transformed them. Uh, in chapter 4, we now found, find John and Peter uh, preaching in, in front of crowds, in, in, in front of the religious leaders, and boldness and courage that we didn't... That's not the Peter that denied Jesus three times, is it? <laughs> it's a different man now. Uh, and John, the, 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 there seems to be no fear. Something happened there, and it's obviously the establishment of his church as Jesus intended for it to be. He spent those three and a half years in a very intentional way training these 12 men, which you would have thought they were not adequate for the task. Why not call 12 guys like Nicodemus, you know? <laughs> highly academicians, highly trained with the accolade, the recognition, the position already, uh, the authority, but call 12 fishermen and carpenters and who knows what to to carry something so critical that the whole, the fate of the whole world was going to depend on this man. But God wanted to show that was his plan and it was his church and he was his accomplishment. Men cannot take credit for that. Common individuals that would have never made it <laughs> any other way than almost miraculously. And those are the men that he called. By chapter 8, we have Philip preaching to the Samaritans. We see an intentionality here in the expansion now, right? The half-breed, the half-Jews, half-Gentiles uh, uh, now are hearing the gospel too. And we see the incredible manifestation of the Holy Spirit that is coming with this preaching. Just what we saw in chapter, chapter 2 of Acts when the tongues came upon all the Jews, you know. Some of them were coming from expatriates and, and visiting uh, at that point for the, the festivities. The Holy Spirit came upon them and everybody heard them speak in different glossolalia or, or languages. Different, uh, I think, are languages. Some, some, some might disagree with me on that. I think the spiritual languages and so forth are First Corinthians, but uh, that will be a different uh, breakout session. <laughs> but chapter 8, we see an intentional expansion. And if that wasn't enough, by chapter 10 then, we, we find Peter reluctantly preaching to the centurion. The, the, this guy, you know, an evil man, uh, a guard from Rome, and uh, the Holy Spirit came upon them too. Uh, and I don't think it was just uh, to, for a show of uh, spirituality. I think God was showing, no, I'm reaching the Samaritan, you, uh, reaching the Jews, and you, uh, reaching the Gentiles, or those that Peter considered unworthy. He, he needed to have a vision before the, the messenger from Cornelius came in to get him, because otherwise he wouldn't have gone. That's how prejudiced he was. I'm not going to go and preach to these people. No, no, you go and preach because my church will go beyond the walls of Jerusalem. That, that was the plan from the beginning, and we all know the passage, right? Uh, Matthew. 20, I don't have to read it. You know the Great Commission passage. But again, we see the centrality of the church here at the, at the whole time. Perhaps even a more vivid example would be chapter 13. Paul, or Saul, as he was called then, and Barnabas in Antioch. Uh, the, the first missionary journey, and the, they will continue missionary journey until the end of the book of Acts, came out pretty much out of the church. See, the church was the context uh, to, to accomplish the Great Commission. And this is very, very relevant piece of information that I think sometimes is overlooked. We think that we can send Lone Rangers. And you go and evangelize or disciple this crowd. In the New Testament context, missions always took place in, on the back of the church. 
you have highly gifted individual, you, you say Saul here, Paul, but it's the church in Antioch that recognize that you're a spiritual gift, that you're calling, and they lay hands on those men and send them out. The very best you, were, you might argue that they have in that church at that time, they send them out to the mission field. It's not the guys that nobody could get along with in the church. <laughs> <laughs> or the guy that's always causing problems to the pastor, and all of a sudden they send him out to plant a church. <laughs> I mean, the Lord, the Lord might be calling you uh, <laughs> across town. Uh, no, no, no. They chose the very best they have to offer, but the church recognized the giftedness, the gift, the calling, and send them. And, and you can see the first, second, and third missionary journey from Paul. There was always a tie to the church. They would go on the first trip, then come back and report to the brethren or to the church. Hey, this happened, this happened. The financial support will come from those local churches as well. Uh, I, you know the scripture probably better than I do. I cannot, off the top of my head, think of a situation where you have a lone ranger on his own going around discipling uh, and doing things without the support or the backing of a local church. In fact, it's dangerous, folks. Uh, you have one man out there, and the devil is going to run circles around him because we all have valleys. Uh, mountains, you know, think on Elijah. We all go through situations where we are a little bit depressed and we just need someone to remind us of perhaps what, what we already know, someone that will pray for us, someone that will say, how are you doing today? And, and that's what the local church does. Plus the giftedness of an individual is recognized at the church. If I never teach even a Sunday school class, I never speak to anybody about Jesus, and then you want to send me to China to plant a church, uh, good luck. <laughs> there are gifts that, that you can see on the person from the star that will show you, you know, this person might have the calling, or this person might have the giftedness or what is required. And, and we can see that in Paul. He goes out to preach the gospel, and he has, has spent sometimes a few weeks in a place, you know, Thessalonica. Sometimes it will take a year, year and a half, Ephesus. Uh, it depends on the context, depends on the mission, depends on what he was doing. But he was always writing to these local churches, thanking them, asking them for support, asking them for prayer, and always multiplying himself. We have a new strategy in the 60s and 70s, I would say. We have mega events and we, we do, um, you know, they are dying out now, but big crusades, I have nothing against them. But I always try to connect those events to a local church or someone that will follow up with the people that are receiving the gospel. Um, I have a Dominican pastor that he and his church decided to do one of those uh, mission trips on, on the summer, and they went to a place, very remote place in Dominican Republic where I'm from. They spent a couple of weeks there. They have a very successful campaign, as they used to be called, uh, crusades, campaigns, the name keeps changing. And they have a bunch of people that receive the Lord. Uh, so the time has come for them to leave, and some of the newcomers came to the pastor and said, okay, what do we do now? I said, well, we'll go to church. He said, there are no churches here. There are only the Jehovah Witnesses. Are those the same as you believe? And he said, no, no, no. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the same church. And he said, well, what do we do? Because you guys, you guys won't come back. If you come back, maybe next year. So he got into a panic mode now because now he had hours to go before he left a bunch of newcomers in this place abandoned. So he has to travel like two hours away and get in touch with the local church that will send workers in to follow up with the work. 
And thank goodness it worked out for him. And finally, you know, they, they are planted now, I think, three churches in the area. I think even a Haitian church they were looking into planting in that, in that region where it was. But, but he realized since then, you know, we need to go and or connect with a local church or plant a church before you, we just go and do an event, preach the gospel and leave the people abandoned now for the Jehovah Witness and the Mormons to come and, <laughs> and get them right when they don't really know what they still, you know, believe or have no foundation. Paul understood that. So he spent a year and a half preaching in Ephesus, uh, in that region there, and in what we, we call the Asia Minor today to make sure that people were hearing the gospel, were understanding the full counsel of God, as he would call it, call it the, the, all the doctrines that were essential. I think uh, as someone that has worked for the convention now in different roles, I have been in church planting, church development, church, church strengthening. I still believe that the most effective way to reach a region is through planting a church. Uh, yes, we can do all kind of events and activities and not against those by any stretch. But if you want the most effective mean or way, in my humble opinion, is to planting a local church, especially in an area where there are no churches or where there are churches that are not dead because there are churches we all not criticizing anything, but we know of churches that are in one place and, and they might as well not be there. They, ha they had the same 12 people uh, that joined the church back in 1962. <laughs> The youngest person is probably 83 or 84, <laughs> and uh, they are not reaching the community. Uh, they are, you can make an argument, well, they are serving each other, they are serving, but it, we are talking about reaching a community. Sometimes you have to come in and plant a church, and that's the model that I see throughout the New Testament. Uh, and the church continued to grow exponentially. If, if you look at this, the persecution broke in Jerusalem, and they were scattered. But that, isn't, that didn't slow down the growth or development of the church. On the contrary, uh, because it's Christ's church and the gaze of Hades won't prevail against it, the church exploded and, and, and churches were planted where the apostles themselves haven't been yet. And we can see that registered throughout the book of Acts that doesn't record everything that happened, but give us a very good picture. Now, I, I feel I'm in my soapbox here. Uh, you guys want... Do I want to add anything to this, or do I need to clarify anything? Am I going too fast? You don't understand a thing of what I'm saying? <laughs> Where they got this guy? I probably wonder. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but everything was going great, right? Even the apostles were killed, but that didn't slow the church down. Everything was going great until what? The third century? Then, then something interesting happened. Constantine, right? The church and the state join hands. I'm on holy marriage, <laughs> some might argue. We created a very special, a very unique class of individual, the clergy. Because now the church has a lot of financial power that didn't have before. The church got a lot of political influence that didn't have before. And we created the laity and the clergyman the professional that can read and understand the Bible. And we remove the word of God from the hand of common individuals. Those fishermen, back then, Peter, Matthew, and those guys, they wouldn't have qualified in this new age. They were past that. Now they were the church. Constantine had given them, a, someone said, a poison gift, a poison apple to eat. 
and they ate it all. The church now was almost an instrument of the state, right? And we find that the church died out by the 5th century. We get into what, the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, 5th century all the way to maybe 14th, the 15th century, one of the darkest period of humanity. And, uh, and it's no surprise that it goes hand in hand with the fact that the, the Bible has been removed from the common man. It's when we had the Reformation come around, the invention of the printing press, the Word of God start getting into the hands of the common man again, the Word of God start getting preached again, that then is when the church started exploding again. Before then, you just have almost heretical groups popping up here, here, here and there. This, well, so there are so many in that period to, to name them all, but <clears throat> you all get the idea. It's no surprise when the Word of God is removed, uh, society loses track. The Old Testament is a picture of, of that, right? When everybody was doing what they was writing before their very eyes, things didn't go better, do they? <laughs> I, I think here in America that really hit close to home when we remove prayer from the schools and the Bible and everything else. <laughs> Are we a better society now? <laughs> You might argue it's more modern, sure. But, but uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said that the more knowledge you have without God, the more potential to do evil, right? Yeah. Uh, it's very naive to think that man is inherently good, and if you give him the tools and the, and the knowledge, uh, he will do great things with that knowledge. No, no. You try to build a bubble again, <laughs> It's gonna try to, you know, the problem is of the, of the, is the, the problem is of the heart. It's not of the head. It's not intellectual recognition. It is the problem that we have turned our back on God. Questions, folks. Let's start breaking this down a little bit more, perhaps. We are looking at the historical origins, but let's talk a little bit about the nature of the church. Because when we speak of the church in universal terms, uh, when I think about the church, and, and you guys help me if, if you disagree here, I think about the church in two different, from two different perspectives. We have the universal church, right? All the believers that live and, and believe in Jesus, the present church and the future church. We know that by grace, many others will receive the Lord, hopefully this year and the years to come. And all of those will be part of the universal church. So in a sense, we might argue that the church is invisible because the, the saints of the past are not with us, but we know they exist. Thank God for those men. Those, those books have really encouraged me that your sermons from centuries ago still speak to my life like if it was today because it's the problem is of the heart. <laughs> I don't care if they are from a different culture or a different time period. Uh, is this is still is still men, still fallen men, is still sin, it's the same issue, the same problems. So, thank God for those men, they, those were saints that were saved, and uh, and and the same for the the present church and the future church. But but the word church is used as separated, ecclesia, separated from from the word, and it's used in the New Testament according to the scholars. I haven't counted it, but I read that it's about 115 times. Uh, 95 times referring to the local church and about 20 times to the universal church. The universal church, I will argue, 
uh, is, uh, is the one that is referring in Matthew 16 when he said that the, the thinking the term in English, the gates of Hades, am I translating this right? I have memorized these verses in Spanish, won't prevail against it. That's the universal church. The local church, though, can fall into sin, and sometimes Islam stem can be removed and closed. We cannot, uh, when I was younger, I saw, you know, the local church would never close its door <coughs> because she's the church of the Lord, and he promised he's going to stay, stay there. No. <laughs> in fact, I, I, it was my betraying my lack of knowledge because if I have just read 1 Corinthians, I have wondered if these people were actually believers, right? There was all kind of problems there. Chapter 1, we, we, we start, you know, Paul uh, start almost rebuking these people from chapter 1 on. There were the internal divisions there. Uh, I belong to Paul, no. And Apollos. And Peter, you know, the strife internally. Uh, classism. I don't know if racism, but the rich and the poor weren't getting along really well. If you look at the Lord's Supper, chapter 10 and 11. But even before that, there was immorality in the church that it was unheard of even among the pagans or the Gentiles in a very depraved Corinth. <laughs> Corinthian side came to mean sexual immorality. And among them, the stuff that were tolerated and look, you know, fine, uh, uh, or people will be okay at the church, were so bad that basically, uh, Paul said, not even among Gentiles, you can hear the kind of stuff that is going on with you guys. The, the son living with the father's wife there, and everybody was okay with it, you know, no problem. Uh, so there is a lot of situations uh, where you can see clearly that the church can, can get off track, really astray. If you have, you know, read Revelation, the first two and three chapters, the seven churches, we start out with serious problems from the start out, right? Ephesus, wow, that's sad. That's, as I say, Paul spent a lot of time in that church, getting the foundation, you know, great preachers there. Timothy, they believe, was a pastor there. Apollos, you remember that guy? He was mighty in scripture. Uh, great titans of the faith have been serving in that church. And of the bad, Jesus said, I have against you that you have forgotten your first love. But this is within, what, 50 or 60 years? <laughs> it wasn't sixth century. <laughs> has turned you back on Jesus already. You, 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 are, you, know, you, you had the form, you adhered to sound doctrine, but boy, your heart couldn't be colder. Couldn't be farther from me. And except what Smyrna and I think Philadelphia are the two ones that Jesus doesn't rebuke openly. But the other, it wasn't a small threat. He said, I'm going to remove the land stand from your place. I'm going to shut you down. And boy, that happened. Yeah, I don't think Turkey is a Christian nation. Correct me if I'm wrong. But <laughs> Asia Minor there is not exactly Christian. The church lost its weakness, lost its opportunity. The local church fell into sin. And we all know, I think it's, uh, I don't know if it's 50 churches a week now, that the number keeps changing, that closes doors. They depart from the faith, folks, and they do it gradually. But is it part of that because of, mm -hmm. to me it seems like part of it's because of our misunderstanding of church. Yeah. Ecclesia is yeah. a gathering of called out believers. Yes. 
And, and usually what happens is a group gets together who are a called out group of believers and they start what we think of as a church. Yeah. And then a lot of times they move into a building. Yeah. And then people, instead of looking at the called out believers as being the church, they look at the people who show up at the building. Yeah. And just as you were talking about in Corinthians, yeah. the people who were showing up at the building or the place they were gathering mm -hmm. were no longer the called out believers. Mm -hmm. They were the sinful people in the area who were trying to bring the perversions of that area into the church to destroy it. Yeah. And part of what I think happens now, whenever we say churches close, we're not talking about a group of called out believers close. Mm -hmm. Usually by the time it, what we call a church closes, as Henry Blackaby put it, yeah. these are the people who ran everybody else off. <laughs> yeah. These aren't the called out believers. And I think in that, we are taking our eyes off, you know, just as, as Dave Rhodes said. Mm -hmm. Maybe we have the wrong finish line. Yeah. We need to look at what is it going to take to get the Word of God into us, the common people. You know, it, it's not about the work of the ministry is not the pastor. The work of the ministry is the pastor raising up the saints to do the work of the ministry. And then that becomes the ecclesia. That becomes the called out people. And that becomes the ones who start reaching out. As I was coming in, I was listening to someone discussing, you know, whenever a church first starts and it's a called out people on fire, most of the time they double every year. One person reaches one person. Mm -hmm. After you get to a certain amount, it takes three people to reach one person mm -hmm. and then by the time a church yeah. what we call a church has been established for a while then it takes 83 people to reach one person yeah. what has happened yeah we have turned inward and we've made it about a place we're meeting and we're no longer seeing you know the the core tenets of the great commission being about teaching everyone to observe what God has taught us Amen. and how that's to change our lives and how that's to reach out to the people who don't know God yes, and aren't being filled with His Spirit. And until we get back to that as, as our, not really our finish line, really our starting line, we're going to struggle. I mean, you know, our problem too often, and, and I've been a pastor of dying church, mm -hmm. and, and I watched the people come, and I asked one gentleman, I said, why do you come here? He said, this is the place for me to come worship God until I die. Mm -hmm. Not to reach out to the community. Yeah, yeah. Most excellent observation, my brother. Anybody else? Yeah. What goes along with that for me is uh, what uh, what the Bible says about they were being added to the church. Those that were being saved were mm -hmm. added to the church. I think we go about it different. Yeah. We're trying to add them to the church and then trying to get them saved. Yeah, yeah. And I, I have been told stories of churches that have one or two families that had the deed of the property. And they change the bylaws so they don't take new members. Right. And the last one to die will keep the property and sell it. 
<laughs> it sounds like like horror movies, but it, it, we're dealing with unbelievers. That I, I, it does, I cannot fathom those people that have the fear of God in them. It just yeah. we're dealing with people out there for the money. You know, yeah. that's simple. It boils down to we're not really making disciples. Right? We've got yeah. a church full of consumers mm-hmm. yeah. instead of churches who's reaching out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not for all churches. I don't mean yeah. to be, make a broad statement like that. But mm-hmm. No, I, I hear you. I hear you. It, it is absolutely the reality of our time, and thank you guys. Thank, anybody else? Don't be shy now, guys. Come on. Uh, I want to delve a little bit into into the theological aspect of the church, right? To to make sure we cover all the bases. Uh, the book, per excellence, I think, when it comes to the church, will be Ephesians, right? Romans, Ephesians. But Ephesians, the first two chapters, I think, are foundational to describe to us what the church is to, to be about. If someone can read Ephesians 1, 3 to 7, and another one can, can look up Ephesians 2, 21 and Ephesians 3, 19. I guess we can, if we have the time, we can read chapter 1 and 2, but, but I think that will give us a picture of what we are after here. Ephesians 1, 3 to 7. And I think that will affirm what you guys, you gentlemen, were just sharing about God in control. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so the church has been chosen basically and sustained by Christ. I don't think there's, there's no arguing that, right? Uh, whether you're a Calvinist or no, I think that well, we at least can agree on that part. I, I happen to believe in the doctrines of grace, but some of you might disagree with that. But I think it's very obvious. Uh, I don't know what you would do with that passage otherwise. But let's look at the church at the temple of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 2.21. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Amen. And 3.19, the eternal promises of God to His church. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So, how I see it, folks, and help me if you see it differently, God has chosen His church, has established His church from the, before the foundation of the world, if you read the, the, the rest of the, the chapter 1 and 2. He sustained His church, He has given His church the promises, the fullness of Christ is in His church, is the manifestation or the, 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 the visible a body of Christ right now, the hands of Christ, is the visible manifestation of the invisible Christ, if you want to put it that way. The church is his instrument, his primary instrument, his plan A, plan B, plan C. It's through the church that the Lord is, is sustaining his, his truth, his, his plan of salvation, and the growth of the believer. Everything is, is centralized in the church. I cannot think of a more important institution on the face of the planet than the church. What else can I compare to the church of Christ? It's his bride. He shed, he shed his blood for the church. He preserved his church. He protected his church. 
and we have 2,000 years of history to prove it. I mean, China, the communist regime, tried to suppress the church, and we have a thriving church in China. Some people say they have more believers in China than here now. <laughs> in Cuba, the brethren in Cuba, you know, Fidel Castro, long beard, atheists, gonna destroy the church, the opium of the people, you know, whatever. Fidel is long gone, and the church in Cuba is thriving. <laughs> Couldn't stop it. Voltaire tried. His house ended up being a printing press, is what I read. Enemies after enemy have been destroyed. The, the, the word of God is there. The church is there. The church won't be destroyed. Uh, I'm sure if we go into North Korea, we'll find true believers there. Uh, because the church will exist until the Lord comes, period. Some of the churches, as the brother well explained here, are, are not really churches. <laughs> uh, but those that are true Christians, or they are going to leave that group, or they are going to prevail against all odds. Because the Lord says so. It's in His power. And it doesn't depend on any man. Uh, not knocking uh, strategies down. That's what we do for a living, right? But a strategy, program, uh, different approaches. Those things are useful, but they are tools. If we depend solely on that, we are mistaken. We need to depend on the power of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out His mission, to, to make disciples. It is through the church. And hopefully we'll get a little bit deeper into the, the Great Commission in a minute. What are, in your opinion, guys, I, I'm not looking for a theological treatise here or, or anything like that, but what are some of the functions of Christ's church? What do you think the church is supposed to do or some of the functions of the church on this, on this era, on this planet? Church oh. take on the image of Christ. Amen, amen. Yeah. It's always a learning Amen. Always learning more about Christ. Yeah. 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 Obedience, yes. Yes. Keep going, guys. Come on. Make a mistake. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Let's always stand for something. Yeah. That's of the kingdom. The priority of the kingdom must be our drive. Amen. 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 While you guys are right on target, just to second what you have been saying, uh, Paul writing to Timothy, his first letter to Timothy, the young pastor that he's encouraging, First Timothy 3.15, he says this, And that from childhood you have known the, sac the sacred writing which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Well, in 2 Timothy, my Bible. <laughs> you can tell this is not my regular Bible, right? Try to bring something slimmer, thinner. <laughs> but uh, it, that's a good passage anyway. Right? <laughs> 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 uh, but first, uh, Timothy 3.15, it says, But in case I am delayed, I rise so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Just along with what my brother was sharing here. The church is the pillar and support of the truth. Folks, I, see the, I watch the news. I'm almost 50 years old. It looks like an upside down world to me. Bad is good. Good is bad. Evil is noble. 
Noble is evil. My head is spinning at times. You don't know what to say anymore. You don't know how it's going to be taken, how it's going to be disconstructed, understood. Uh, and you might end up being accused of who knows what. It, it's, it's a bizarre world that, that we are so divided and so much heat everywhere. The source of truth, according to this passage, is a scripture. It's not the world, it's not society, because the norms are changing. Well, can we be a witness to that? What was okay in the 70s is not okay in the 2000s. We're talking about, you know, it's 50 years different. What was okay 20 years ago, I might argue with you, is not the same today. Society changes, the standard change, the, what is right, the, the, the standard of what is right and what is wrong is changing. Now, do you want to set your north or your compass on what the majority is thinking? That's a very dangerous thing. The majority... <laughs> are majoritarily wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the, the only truth and hope of this world is here. That's why he said, you know, this is very serious. He doesn't say, hey, Timothy, uh, if I'm delayed, do what you can there until I get there, and then we figure it out. No, it's dangerous. It's the church. Yeah. It's way, right ways and wrong ways of doing things, and you need to pay attention. I write in case there are delays, so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and stulos. That word is, is uh, baluarte. I, I prefer the word in Spanish for this. It's not just a support. It's beyond that. The church is the pillar foundation of the truth. The truth is here. And uh, boy, we are going to get into hot water as, as churches are facing this new era. As we start saying that men are men and women are women, we are going to come under attack. And I don't have to convince any of you. Just watch what is happening in Canada. I have been following what has been happening in Spain for, for many years, in Germany, Switzerland, and uh, pastors in jail a long time ago. Some uh, demoted or taking out the denomination for affirming what you and I will say, but well, this is obvious. <laughs> no, it's not obvious. The church will have to stand for the truth, period, when in season and out of season, when it costs and when it doesn't cost, and it will cost us. Status, prestige, freedom at times, and, and, and not surprising a few years of our lives. Because the devil is not at rest, not twisting his thumbs. No, he's working. He's actively working, and he's about to destroy, right? He's going around looking someone to devour. Peter warned us about this. The church will have to be the north, the compass. Uh, it's acceptable or unacceptable. It's likable or unlikable uh, that, that people will, will, will attack the church. There is a, almost an inherent hatred toward the church or, or anything Christianity represents. Just watch the news. They speak of the church almost with disdain. They don't like Christians. Why? For why we represent folks. They hate God. It's God who he hates. Or they hate. The Bible doesn't tell us that Abel was taunting Cain, was he? No, he went about his business. The Lord said, offer this to me. And he did it. And what did his brother say? Oh man, I messed up. Hey, Abel, what, uh, how do you do that? Help me out. No. <laughs> He got full of rage to his brother because he represented a standard that he was not. He represented God and the hatred against God. He couldn't kill God. He killed his brother. That hatred is in the human heart. 
All of us have a little bit of Cain in us. We still want to do it our way. <laughs> when I sing with Frank Sinatra to the top of our lungs, I did it my way. <laughs> On my way to hell. <laughs> this is the human nature, the human heart. And the church is standing directly in, in, in opposition to that way of thinking. And we will have to remain faithful to the word of God. That's what I don't think meeting or coming together is an option for the believer. That, that passage from that you all know, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, you know, we need to keep meeting together because we are like, like fire that, that we, we encourage each other, we help each other. We're about to come under attack in this country, my humble opinion. That that's not the Bible, that's just me talking now because I, I have been under dictatorships. I know the signs. I know when the private sector becomes an instrument of repression of the state. I know how it works. Uh, you guys, thank God you haven't gone through that. But uh, in Latin America, it's common to have those dictators. <laughs> have guys that will make Trudeau look like child play. <laughs> we, we, we can see the signs on the... Ask any Cuban to tell you when Fidel got to power, if they came in promising communism, or what was he promising. Uh, so I recognize the sign. We are going to come under assaults. This is what is going to keep us on the right track. If we depart from here, it will be easy to depart from here. If you don't want to be condemned, you know, look weak, or for people to make fun of you, you you're going to abandon this, or will suppress it that nobody knows that you actually believe this nonsense that this this book teach, teaches. But if you are a true believer, you cannot do that. This is consuming fire in your heart. You have to to speak up. You will have it come forth from you. It's the force of the, the Holy Spirit in you. And you're going to come under assaults. We need to be careful here. We need to understand that this is part of the plan. Jesus commended those seven churches. You remember in Revelation 2 and 3. So you, 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 you have kept my word. I will tell Philadelphia, I will keep you from the time that is coming upon the, the people of the earth. You have been faithful. I won't forget that. The Lord won't, won't forget our faithfulness in the, in the middle of attacks. And perhaps the church needs a little bit of, you know, like the, how do you say that uh, in English when, when the, shaking. the shaking, right? To separate the wheat from the tears. Yeah. To know who is who. <laughs> exactly. So we, we will need that. And, and it is through the church that we, we need the church. That idea of that we can meet on Zoom is great. It was great during the pandemic. I'm not against that at all. It was a lifesaver. But you the, try not to go that way. We need to come together and face each other uh, with iron sharpening iron. Pray for each other, comfort each other, help each other, because we are going to be about to face a very hostile world. And it's through the word, the column and the stools, or the stain of the truth, that we are going to be fed. And it's through the mutual uh, the help of other believers that we are going to prevail. But again, I don't want this to be a sermon. You guys now, <laughs> charm in for me now, please. <laughs> Amen. Yes, yes. I know exactly the passage you're referring to. But folks, we cannot we cannot finish this uh, without reading the Great Commission. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go to Matthew 28.
Matthew 28, 20, what does it say? Some people say, you know, well, if the Great Commission was that important, Jesus wouldn't, Jesus wouldn't have waited until the very end of his life to talk about it. You know? But I think it's a poor understanding of, of Jesus' ministry. That's all that he talked about. <laughs> might not have called it that, but I think the final words of a man before, before he departs are very important. Uh, and that was in his heart at the time. Uh, and he said, you know, as you go, uh, basically, it was almost an assumption instead of a commandment. Uh, as you are going, make disciples, followers. Uh, I hope you are not disappointed. I'm not going to give you 10 ways for you to make disciples because I think that that's the saturation point that we are in right now. <laughs> Another methodology. But, but if you want a very, what I think, biblically-based, simple approach, a classic to me is the master plan of evangelism. You know, this thing is, is a misnomer. It should be a master plan of disciple making from Robert Cole. Uh, I think the book hit it on, you know, right on target. That's a book that it will be worth your time reading because he, he just take Jesus' example with the disciple. He, he called them, he purified them, he prayed for them, he modeled before them, and then he have them doing the work and then supervising it. That's what a disciple making a person does. You just don't give someone a book and say, really, you're a disciple now. I remember I filled in 12 lessons in three months and I was disciple. No, I needed to come along. What I really learned was when I used to come along with the pastor and see what he was doing uh, and see how he was evangelizing and interacting. Just model. A lot of things are cut and not taught. You know, that's what I do with my kids. They see what you are doing and I think Robert Coleman got that, that, that right. Another book I think will be worth uh, of your reading is A.B. Bruce, The Training of the Twelve. I think it's from the 1871. <laughs> but, but English is your native tongue. You probably will understand it better than I do. <laughs> it's a modern translation out there. But, but still, what he takes is biblical passages, and he sees what Jesus did, and he followed that pattern. The, the church is critical in this process for many reasons. Number one, the spiritual gift. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, all those spiritual gifts, whether they are in all comprehensive or inclusive or some of them, uh, you see that all of those spiritual gifts are exercised mostly on the context of the local church. In fact, Peter says that in 1 Peter 4.10. He said that gifts, spiritual gifts have been given for you to minister to each other, to one another. I haven't been given a spiritual gift to, to, to serve myself. You know, this is for my own benefit. It's always for the benefit of others. So the, the, if you don't have a body of believers, if you're not part of the church, I don't know how you can reach uh, and touch other people with the gift that God has given you. Even the gift that the Lord gave the church, pastor, teachers, and prophets, for, uh, Ephesians 4, 8 to 11, the pastors are a gift to the church to edify the church and to build up the church, right? 
all of that is always in the context of the local church. Most of Paul's letters were written to individuals that were part of a local church, to the church in Galatians, or Cappadocia, Bithynia, uh, uh, to uh, brothers such and such in the church of. It's always in a church context that, that Paul is talking. We saw early that, that, you know, Paul and Barnabas and those guys were sent from the church uh, to plant other churches and to make disciples. And I think that's the model per excellence. Uh, it's, it's the place that, that provides, as I say, opportunity for spiritual gifts uh, within the context of the local church to, to edify the body so the body can go as they go, which is the, the main premise here of the Great Commission, as they go about their lives. At the example that the, the, that the speaker was giving earlier, you know, the CEO of AT&T, I think. Uh, you need to do that, folks. Uh, um, we praise that because it's rare, but that should be the, you know, uh, our uh, Spanish leader in our church was sharing how this guy, he, he used to be a contract worker. And every time he used to go and, 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 and wait for his check for his work, the guy was a Christian, the one that was hiring him. He has to wait an hour there because he will give him like a Bible study and then pay him. <laughs> <laughs> but he finally came to the Lord. <laughs> I don't recommend you do that every time. <laughs> uh, but but it, it was reached not by a pastor or by a church. It was reached by a common electrician, a common man that used to hire him. And he took the opportunity to share the gospel. I worked engineering for just a very few years. I'm an electrical engineer by trade. And uh, I remember having a Bible study so in my office on, on, on Monday morning. And most of the guys that had never gone to a church would come and, and do a Bible study with me. Uh, here in America, you probably couldn't do that. Obviously, they would think that you're harassing the employees and uh, so forth. But my country was a little bit more relaxed. And we could do those things. And I'm sure some of them still remember that one. I didn't even remember that. They have told me, you remember, engineer, when you used to, to teach you the Word of God. So uh, stuff that you do in your daily living... There's no magic or, or something uh, strange or something extraordinary. It's as you go about your life, or carpenters, mechanics, you know, engineers, doctors, just share the gospel with people and make disciples model before them what is to follow Christ. Invite them to church, connect them with the body of Christ. There are no perfect churches. I'm telling you folks, I've been <laughs> now in church for 35 years. Uh, there are no perfect churches. And if, if you join that church, it wouldn't be perfect anymore. Because <laughs> we are imperfect beings. Uh, and we are going to have a struggles and problems. But it's a still God's plan to redeem humanity. Jesus died for his church. Uh, it is the, the source of truth. Your head is going to spin if you're just depending on the news nowadays to determine what's right from wrong. There's so many depression going on. So many mental illnesses. I don't know how you cope if you don't have a north. My goodness, nothing is right or wrong anymore. You don't know what is right, what is right today is wrong tomorrow. Who can live in that kind of instability, emotional pressure, constant? You never know when you are doing right or wrong here. This is the north. You say your compass here. It's going to draw some lining. <laughs> so lining wrote this book, especially nowadays, a 3,000-year-old full of hatred and narrow-minded people and so forth. It's done new. They killed most of the prophets of the Old Testament. All of the apostles said probably John was killed. Uh, 
there's a price to serve God. I, I, I'm not saying that to discourage you in any way. But know that facing opposition is not a sign that you are out of the will of God. It's perhaps the evidence that you are right in the middle of the will of God. And that shouldn't discourage you, but embolden you. Knowing that, you know, time might be tough, but God is in control and He's not taking him by surprise. He fully warned us that this was going to happen. If they did to me, imagine what they are going to do to you. Jesus warned the disciples. You remember the way to the cross? If they are doing this to the green tree, imagine what they're going to do to you guys. Uh, so it's no surprise there either. But it's through his church and through his great commission that God is still carrying out his plan of salvation. And let's, let's not make that mistake that the church made with Constantine and think about the pastor and the leaders of the church as the clergy, and we come in on Sunday morning to be entertained. No, we are the soldiers. It's us. The spiritual gifts was given to us, not just to the pastor. It's because God expects, and we are going to be held accountable what we do with those spiritual gifts. Are we serving others? Are we growing? Are we seeking the lost? God, when God asks you, what do you do with that special ability through the Holy Spirit, what are you going to answer? Well, I was afraid, Lord, you know, it was a tough time. You know how things were down there. <laughs> no, no, no. You won't do that. You say, Lord, I was faithful in the little bit that I could. Uh, I put before you, you know, uh, what the, the, the little or the much that I did. And God will honor your effort. You remember the parable of the talents? Each one of them brought different amounts. Yet the reward was the same. Good and faithful servant coming to the joy of the Lord. They didn't say, well, this brought, you know, Five talents, this goes here. No, it was the same reward because what the Lord is measuring is faithfulness. It's not quantity. It's not how big your church is. How many members, what, how big is your budget? No, how faithful you are in that small, tiny church that nobody knows about. That's what he's looking for. So it's a big challenge for us. Final comments, folks. I'm extending between you and your lunch now. So <laughs> in closing, anybody want to say anything? I heard a saying years ago. We yeah. said, the church is like Noah's Ark. Yeah. You know, it's smelly, it's dirty, sometimes you don't want to be there. Yeah. But it's the only thing to float. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great, great one. But let me pray, folks, and, uh, and uh, I will be here if you want to talk a little bit more, or you can try to beat that, that line that is forming in there. <laughs> For, it must be Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here. I do not have the privilege of knowing each and every one of them individually, but what an honor to be with them in this room. The soldiers, men and women that love you, that want to learn more about your word, I want to go out and serve you and conquer the world for you. Thank you for the, your commitment, for the, your dedication, for this time together. May the word of God, your word, abide in our hearts.